Hey, John. Hey, Scott. What's up? Do you like popcorn? I love popcorn. Me too. I eat it all the time at work. You like eschatology? I ponder the end times every moment of the day. Interesting. I am Scott Thurow, and this is John Arminio, welcoming you to another episode of Popcorn Eschaton, a side story on Channel Zebras in America, where we discuss films with a either strong spiritual, strong political, or sometimes where movies have both films, or we'll discuss films that don't necessarily have explicit tones, but have implicit tones. Now, the movies that we are discussing today have, ex- are, well, we're going to discuss uh, John Sayles' Matawan and Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. And Matawan is unabashedly religious, in my opinion, both implicit and explicit, and political, explicitly. And when Sorry to Bother You came out, I was telling people that aside from some of the ridiculous stuff that we, I'm sure we'll talk about, there will be spoilers for these movies. I was like, oh, this is like the best movie about unions. Well, like the importance of unions since Made Want. So when we were coming up with ideas about our next episode, I was like, ooh, I want to do this. And like, I feel like, I feel like we have like different vibes that we've been building on, on this show. Yeah. So we have like, you know, Italian, Italian movie. Well, we've just been like doing like right now, like Paul Schrader and, and Martin Scorsese and Abel Ferrara. And I was actually listening to someone talk about how, um, the difference between Scorsese and Schrader, you know, because they get lumped in together a lot. And mm-hmm. obviously Scorsese has a much bigger career, but someone pointed out that Schrader is Calvinist yeah. and and um, Scorsese is Catholic and that makes the difference in the movies. But we have these sort of like, we're doing these episodes about like faith and priesthood and spirituality. And then we're doing these episodes where we're like unpacking western movies and like we have like fun little you know vibes we're working with so this also these to me made a one also sort of builds on like the western aspects that we've been dealing with as well as you know like bisbee 17 that we watched uh not that long ago but yeah i'm just very excited to talk about these movies do you want to tell me about made yeah, you know, actually, it's interesting you bring up westerns because in his conception for the film, he, John Sayles, had western vibes on his mind going in, like the idea of like a stranger comes to town and stirs up trouble, and a slow ratcheting up of increasingly desperate encounters that lead up to a gunfight. Um, and there's all sorts of other western analogs in the movie too, but that was sort of his approach to writing. Maidwan, you know, about, you know, coal miners organizing, uh, um, so, like using Western iconography and Western film language to tell that story. Um, but, you know, the plot 
is about um, Chris Cooper's character Joe coming to Made One, West Virginia, where there is a sort of nascent coal miner strike, and uh, during the work stoppage, the coal mining company brings in a group of African American and Italian workers um, to replace. I don't want to call them scabs because you know they're people who are desperate. Um, for food and work, too, and um, and that causes a lot of strife in the town. And so the film revolves around Joe's efforts to organize, being butted against the coal mining company's uh, very violent and vile efforts to break the strike, and keep on mining coal. Yeah, I think that's a very good description and some some notable things is that you know it's one of it's one of chris cooper's or one of his first if not his first films starting a collaboration with john sales which would last for a very long time Mm -hmm. john sales being a guy that i feel like is much loved in certain circles but i still think is a underground darling an independent darling yeah he's he's made movies that have been very popular and very important Brother from Another Planet, Lone Star, Made of Wan, you know, that weren't necessarily financial hits. And I'll t- I'll even sometimes talk to film heads, and they're like, oh, I never saw Made of Wan. Like, oh, I, ne- I never saw Brother from Another Planet, which is a fabulous film. It's yeah. It was the first time I saw how you could do like an independent sci-fi character piece yeah because it's just about a guy from another planet but it's kind of it's just like a very slow film that has some mild sci-fi undertones and i feel like lone star was a very popular movie when it came out but Mm -hmm. again it's a movie where people are like oh i don't know it you know um i bet i saw lone star maybe a decade ago um but i've been slow to fill in a lot of the other pieces in John Sales' filmography. Like, I, I saw Amen Out when I was a kid, probably, but and that, that's another... And Sales has a way of use, combining his own voice with the voice of incredibly di- diverse casts of people. So, 19th century or early 20th century baseball players, coal miners... Um, African-Americans, uh, a, a newly out lesbian in his second film. Um, and, and so t- to see him tackle similar themes from all these other very, you know, like different angles makes him a fascinating filmmaker to me. And, and I really have to give a shout out to my friend Bill Scurry for his evangelizing of Sales's work because that probably spurred me on to fill in some of those holes and helped me sort of, in retrospect, definitely helped me prepare for this this episode of the podcast. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's, you know, you know, he's the, he wrote Piranha, but he also wrote Meituan. Like, what a, what an interesting dude. And also Ghost wrote a bunch of movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the, the first draft of the script for E.T., and it, and I think uh, I think originally helped write a, one of the Jurassic Park movies. So 
He's this really well-known script doctor, but the movies he makes are weird and dense and very beautiful yep. sometimes. I, I, I recently rewatched Silver City, which was a very 2004 political satire, mm. basically making fun of George W. Bush, starring Chris good. Cooper. And But, he, yeah, it's just... He makes great movies. They're beautiful movies. They're very cinematic. Made of One is gorgeous. I was rewatching a couple scenes to get ready, for, get get ready for the pot. I'm like, oh, I forgot that this is also like a gorgeous film. But again, what I wanted to say is, so we have Chris Cooper, James Earl Jones, Mary McDonald, and some other well-known character actors. But also, we have a young Will Oldham playing a a child preacher which so the movie takes place in the 1920s so you know that this is the depression times are really rough and it happens in a factory town and factory towns in in these time in these days and times were sort of places where yeah the factory ran things the factory ran the way that you could buy things they would own the 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 stores you would buy from they would own the buildings that you would rent from so they would also control commerce and control how much money you have. And in some towns, they had their own currency. So you wouldn't actually be paid in dollars. You would be paid in Sears bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you ever hear the song, you know, I owe, owe, my, owe my life to the company store. It's just a very sort of idea of these company towns. And, and to try to fight against them would result in murder, death, violence mercenaries pinkertons a lot of people know the pinkertons from the weezer the weezer album and red dead redemption and also most recently magic the gathering but real weird pull from wizards of the coast to do that wow wow oh did you know about that i did yeah yeah so yeah a lot of the, the gamers who come to my store were like what is happening so to give a little, so the Pinkertons were a union-busting organization and tough, like basically mercenaries of corporations all the way back to the 1800s to the point where there is a law in from the U.S. government that Pinkertons cannot run for government. They're, they literally killed people. And then recently, some youtuber got a hold of a magic the gathering set magic the gathering being a very the first collectible card game and still being very still being very popular something that i a game that i like to play with friend of the show frank the tank and this guy got a hold of a set weeks before it was supposed to come out and he showed that he he revealed the set and then Pinkertons came to his house a few days later, demanding that he give them the product and and ter- and take down the videos. And it's been a very big controversy. It's been it's it's been one of them Streisand effects on on Wizards of the Coast, the the publishers of D and D and and uh, and Magic the Gathering, which is also a subsidiary of Hasbro. You know, Transformers, Monopoly, huh, and all those things. Because it really just made them look bad. Because yeah. they could have... The, the guy that that revealed these cards, he was the one that was kind of looking not so good until you sent mercenaries 
to someone's house. And this is this is why I really feel the, this sort of stuff is important to understanding this movie. But also, Will Oldham, who plays the child preacher, is also known as Bonnie Prince Billy, who is one of the most important singer-songwriters of the indie singer-songwriter genre. He's very, very popular amongst certain sets. And I like some of his music, but it's it's not really my genre. It's it's a little consistently morose f- f- for me, uh, like not a lot to grab a hold of. Um, but he's he's certainly incredibly talented, and um, and he's so amazing in this movie. Like there's for a child actor, like, there's so many ways you could stumble, especially you know. And there's a couple scenes where. The camera is just right on Daniel as he's giving an incendiary monologue to either to his congregation or to Chris Cooper's character. And for a script and a filmmaker and a film to hinge so much on a teenager requires an incredible amount of faith in a certain in a performer, a, a novice performer at, at this point in his life. And he just hits it out of the park again and again. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just this, a very good movie. This Chris Cooper comes to this town to help start a strike, help unionize the, the town does the, not the town, the town does try to help. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of solidarity. And then the company hires thugs to, to kill these people. Yeah. And this is based off of a real thing, and it's based off of a movement that created a lot of rebellions between companies and and union busters. And if you look at if you look at wage disparity connected to the power of unions, you see that at the beginning of American unions' popularity around this time, you had the most solidarity and the most equality between wages and unions. And now that unions are this dirty word that people equate with socialism, there's the most inequality between the bottom lines of companies and the workers. Yeah, you know, this yeah, this was the largest armed uprising in America since the Civil War. Um and what we see in the film is actually like the preamble to what's known as the coal wars in, in West Virginia and that we would lead to even bigger battles between mercenaries and coal miners that would lead to like literal aerial bombings of striking miners that you know was so, like patted on the back by the US government um, to allow this sort of thing to happen and you know as one of the most fascinating characters in this film for me is uh, David Strathairn's sheriff character. And, you know, typically in the story of unions, um, law enforcement, especially elected law enforcement, are tools of the, the mining company. that they're, they're used to put down strikes. And in this case, he's, he basically takes an old West sort of mindset where it's like, not in my town. This, I am the sheriff of 
the people of Maidwan and the town and the mining company is not going to tell him what to do. And he he really steps up and defends the citizens. Um, but in real life, after the events of the film, he was assassinated by the mining company. Um, mm-hmm. So they just have they have no scruples with the length they are go they go to. Um, according to John Sales, at one point the Red Cross was shipping milk to feed the children of the miners, and the mining company poisoned it with iodine, so it would be unpalatable uh, to to anyone who tried to drink it. So they're willing to starve children to get what they wanted. And this just goes in the idea, one of the central tenets of Marxism is that, you know, there are two classes, and they are distinctively done of the ownership of the means of production and control of labor, of power of others. So one of the main tenets of Marxist theory is that by the working class taking over and having access to the means of production and undermining that society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hospital camps, into two classes directly facing each other, you know, capitalists, bourgeoisie or workers or proletariat and they're they're as long as one class controls all of that there will not be true liberation and you can argue that these things ex- you know there could be you could there's people that say oh well everything is based on racism everything is based on sexism everything is based on the patriarchy everything is based on class and all of that is a reductionist take because all of that is connected however i believe i truly believe that you the end of racism the end of the patriarchy is deeply rooted in capitalism the the film brilliantly distills that down to joe saying there are two kinds of people those that work and those that don't and that's the argument as ha- is that's the argument for how he is able to unite the white workers, the immigrant workers, and the black workers, because the mining company very consciously, when the local white miners strike, they bring in African American workers, they bring in immigrants, because they know that's going to immediately create division between the groups of miners and that they will not be able to overcome those differences and unite. And so Joe's job is to overcome those differences and help these miners see the commonality that they have with one another. And it really helps when you have um, actors like Chris Cooper and James Earl Jones playing against each other and acting as representatives for their respective groups and like the power James Earl Jones has like as soon as he steps on screen is is pretty remarkable and you and as we go later into the 20th century and bigger leftist movements come out you can't really have in America leftist movements without contributions from black leftists black women leftists black queer leftists and all of that, right when we're recording right now, is during the during during the month of June, which is 
Pride Month, and it's a very interesting year because as because every year more and more companies use Pride Month as a way to create a lot of stuff to sell products. Yeah. And this gets people on both sides of the argument very angry because people on the far left are like, oh, this is pink washing or rainbow washing. You know, it's companies that have totally been part of been part of the patriarchal dismantling of LGBTQ people and and causes now all of a sudden using that as a way to sell. And it's just a marketing ploy. And then there's a lot of people on the right that are just so upset about the existence of queer people and trans people and all these boogeymen and well boogie people that they are creating. And it it creates this moral panic which the right needs to go because they are fing- they are fear mongerers. What does the word conservative come from? Conservation. They are conserving. They want to conserve their status quo. Mm-hmm. And so it's just very interesting when pride, you know, comes a, a lot of that comes from the Stonewall riots, which was, well, I don't really want to call it the, the riots. I don't know if that's really my place. Comes from Stonewall, which was queer, black, trans, lots of people like fighting against cops in New York City. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but you know, it's like like any strike. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't call Stonewall a strike per se, but you know, Pride started off uprising. As, yeah, a, a, an, an uprising, a, a strike, or any of these um, worker-led, citizen-led movements. They're supposed to be disruptive. Pride is disruptive. A strike is disruptive, and they're supposed to make the powers that be uncomfortable, and because you have to make them uncomfortable in order to make any sort of meaningful change. And Marsha P. Johnson mm-hmm. was a revolutionary in their own right, and probably would not have any interest with Budweiser having a gay rights Bud can. Yeah, and what a lot of these right wing people are doing is actually really scary when you see these people shooting Bud Light cans because Bud Light made a can commemorating a trans TikToker's transition. When you see Kid Rock shooting up Bud Light cans with with an AR fifteen, or these people being like, "Oh, we will do violence for the things that we don't like." It's very scary, yeah. and it, it, it is class war and rooted in capitalism, fear-mongering, and, and divide-and-conquer tactics. The, as we see in Maidawan, you have the white American coal, coal workers, the Italian white coal, coal workers, and the African American coal workers all being separated first before realizing that there's a common goal. And if you can separate people, you can create division. Mm -hmm. So in actuality, these 
not not all of not all of the right wing are poor and not all of the right wing are I don't think I'm not going to say oh right wing right wing people are dumb because I don't think they are but a lot of the base that maga appeals to are are fucked over poor white people mm-hmm. and by dividing them through fear tactics and moral panics keeps people from the bottom line that we're that we're stronger together than apart yeah yeah the right is is now pushing for rescinding child labor laws in order with a message like oh we're doing this so that you can make money and provide for your family but you know we're certainly not going to allow like a raise in the minimum wage because that would be just silly that would be communist one thing that I find fascinating about Meiduan is um, the sort of dialogue between the effective, the effectiveness of violent protest and nonviolent protest. And, you know, Joe very passionately discusses his pacifism with fellow miners, his efforts to achieve their goals through pacifism. He gives an incredible monologue about how when he was jailed um, for being a conscious objector for, to World War I, uh, um, dis- discussing the torture that his fellow Mennonite prisoners were subjected to because they wouldn't wear prison uniforms and wouldn't work. And he talks about, you know, these, these people never picked up a gun in their lives, but they're probably the bravest people he's ever known. But then... You know, like like we saw with friendly persuasion, these miners are confronted with mercenaries, like men with guns sent to commit murder, are marching through their town, and you know, if if the only thing that separates your child from a mercenary with a shotgun is you, I I I I can't tell that person about my pacifist philosophy. You know, like it's it's life or death in this moment. And and yet it's it's also difficult to say, you know, you and your family are going to have to go hungry for a month in order to accomplish the goals of the strike or or uh, six months or a year. And and I really admire a film that doesn't land on an answer to that incredibly complicated question. But it really presents that conflict, that inner conflict that these people have um, in, in a really elegant way. Yeah, and for a better look at understanding about nonviolence in at least like civil rights, I highly recommend the book This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed mm-hmm. by Charles E. Cobb Jr., which looks at how guns made the civil rights movement possible and it's a complex look at guns in leftist movements and liberation movements and and the complexities and nuances of nonviolent movements and again i've said this before on the show and i if we're going to talk about our stances on the second amendment I don't want to do that without doing some 
preparation. Yeah. Because I think that it is a topic that really needs to be talked about with thought. I don't want to wantonly talk about my feelings about the Second Amendment. Does that make sense? But I, I, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a simple view about it. It's not a simple issue. Yeah. And that, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, before we pivot into the next movie, is there anything else you'd like to say about Mater 1? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite scenes is, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Daniel's preaching. And at one point, he starts giving the, the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. And the movie doesn't tell you but he changes the story. He changes the end. And in his version, and without him saying, "I'm hey, I'm changing the ending, he has Joseph murdered. And that's his signal that something bad is happening that was sort of manip- manipulated by the mercenaries that the mining company hired. Um, and so this requires us to know both the, the parable of Joseph and also to know that the townspeople are going to know this parable and the mining company representatives don't, or at least they're not listening because they're drunk and sort of in their celebratory cups at this time. And it's such a, an elegant and sort of right-for-the-character way to communicate information because at this point, you know, like... There's all this plotting that the mining company has done to try and instigate the town itself to kill Joe. And so this is Daniel's way of saving Joe without getting himself killed. And it's just so wonderfully done. Um, and, you know, so often a, um, a film with, like, good political intentions, like trying to tell a story about, you know, people being beaten down and... and and you know, to give voice to the oppressed, sometimes it just stumbles so embarrassingly. Um, so I'm just so thankful that uh, John Sayles just made this movie. And, like, like this movie crushes me, Scott. Like, it's... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, I really think this is one of the great American films. Like, if I had to... Like, especially the 80s. You know, c- c- coming between... 1987, yeah. Yeah, like the same year, you know, same year Predator came out. Like, look, I I love, like, Die Hard and Predator to fucking death. Um, But in that environment, for John Seals to make Meituan, I think, is incredibly profound. Um, And, and uh, also, real quick, like you said, um, the music is really essential to this film, and I... And the... The traditional Appalachian songs, those have lyrics written by John Sayles. Um, so they're, they're not traditional folk songs. They're unique to the film. And um, the Italian songs, I think, are interestingly... Um, those are actual traditional Italian-like work songs. 
but the 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 uh, Appalachian songs are done by uh, Mason Daring and John Sales. Mason Daring did, did all the scoring for the film. And 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 two more things. One is it's a travesty that if you want to watch this movie, you either need to buy a very expensive Criterion Collection DVD, or you know, I'm gonna say it, you can you can watch it on a very popular free streaming service Mm -hmm. and i recommend you do because there's no way to to watch it in a way that supports anyone so if you want to watch it it's very easy to watch on blue boob (laughs) to um but yeah it's not on any streaming service right now but also when we were talking about this episode i forgot that you wanted to talk about Panopticon? Yes. Um, yeah, so Panopticon is this great black metal band from Kentucky. And, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about black metal as a genre um, globally is that bands, no matter where they're from, have incorporated their own, like, local folk music into the black metal oeuvre. So, you know, that started with Norwegian bands like Uver incorporating Norwegian folk into black metal, but that spanned to bands from Taiwan incorporating, you know, Chinese and Taiwanese folk music into their sound. So Panopticon, being from Appalachia, incorporates Appalachian folk into their music. And they're not the first band to incorporate American folk into black metal, but their album from 2012, I think, Kentucky, is just an incredibly powerful and moving example of that. And it's really just about how the coal mining industry has destroyed um, both the people and the landscape of Kentucky. And um, they they use um, testimonials, like recording testimonials from actual miners telling their stories about their experiences with the mining company and organizing. They do a couple covers of traditional uh, Union songs on the record. It's just a really powerful testament to the sort of story that Maidawan is telling, but through black metal. And uh, if you if you're interested in 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 the history of protest songs and the history of leftism in this country, I, I recommend checking out uh, Panopticon's Kentucky. You know, you you're gonna get me listening to black metal because I'm. <laughs> I I I am interested. Mm. It it's it's not the easiest genre to get into, but um, uh, it's it's brought me a lot of um, a lot of enriching lessons. That's for sure. So, sorry to bother you. Is a is a 2018? I I would say I guess I guess a dark comedy, a sci-fi sci-fi comedy. Dark sci-fi comedy? Dark sci-fi satire comedy, yeah. <laughs> Sati- yeah, satirical sci-fi comedy. When it came out, there was, it was everyone was talking about it. It was it was actually released as a screenplay on McSweeney's, which is a very popular publication like press literary magazine from the West Coast, um, started by David Eggers and his people. And so he had this script, and then it became a spec script. And then 
it got optioned and they sort of took Boots Riley, who's been in media for since the 90s, late 80s. He is a rapper, producer. I think the most important part, which will really feed into this this movie, is he's an activist. Like he's a real leftist activist from the Bay Area of California who's been active feet on the ground really about that leftist life for as long as I've known of him and before I knew of him and then after I will know of him. He's been really about it, you know, just like helping communities, uh, creating art that was incredibly class conscious. You know, his album Genocide and Juice, Steal This Double Album, well, the coup is a band with Pam the Funkstress, Rest in Peace, and, and others. And party music, which was very controversial because when it first came out, the original cover was the coup celebrating the explosion of, of the Twin Towers, which actually had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks. The album came, was made before that. It was coincidental. So it was, so they their music has always been mired in controversy. You know, they have... But their music is complex. Their music is funky. Their music is very important to me, especially Steal This Album is has just really wonderful and very sad music. He has a song about Jesus and the Pimp where he meets, where the character in the song meets uh, a pimp who, who also, you know, was involved with his mother and it sort of, in the 90s, sort of takes the whole popularity of pimp culture and takes it on its feet and questions it from a class-conscious perspective. Because sex work is work, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the, the pimp dichotomy is not great to women. And also, because oppressors can be oppressed too, it's not great to the men either. You know, there's a, there's that's a lot of stuff that Bell Hooks talks about, that Fans Fan talks about, um, that that men create self murders in their search for patriarchy. I recommend everybody read Bell Hooks. I really do. And so I find out that Boots Riley is making a movie, and the internet is excited. They're already calling it a cult film before it comes out, which I think was to its detriment. Because I think creating, you can't make a cult film. You can't turn a film into a Saturday midnight film. Yeah, absolutely. You know that's 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 astroturf. You can't make fetch happen. You know what I mean? Did, did you get my joke? I thought. <laughs> yes, I. I'm 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 on your wavelength, Scott. Okay, so <laughs> all of a sudden, Boots Riley is this artist you need to know and it's like dude this guy has been working for 30 years but this is his first foray into film and he makes this movie with Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Jermaine Fowler, Marmy Hardwick, Terry Crews, Patton Oswalt, David Cross, Danny Glover, Stephen Yoon, Army Hammer. Oh shit this is way before um, Army Hammer became uh, the cause celebre that that we know of him now. Yeah. And yeah, 
was perfect casting as a capitalist piece of shit in 2018 and retroactively even more perfect right because because if if we're if we are to believe uh all the things that have been alleged against him and there's quite a bit that makes it look like he is he's a monster and comes from like old money comes from like the the arm and hammer family so yeah the film basically puts us in a capitalist dystopian future near future and Lakeith Stanfeld plays a telemarketer who by using a white accent in his telemarketing job he starts succeeding at his job and gets um, sort of swept into this really insane corporate conspiracy with a twist at first I was going to talk about the twist but I think I'm not going to because if you haven't seen the movie I want you to see the movie and I don't want the the last part which is truly absurd yeah. to to be revealed yeah i think talking about it without seeing it makes it it sound stupid but but in the film it's like it's i think it's a an earned escalation right but here's the dialectic i think it's both stupid and brilliant yeah, yeah. you're you're like what the fuck but you're also like uh, this this tracks. I believe that that this could happen. And you know, if you just think about the ways in which capitalism has afforded um, the people who own corporations the, the permission to act, you know, if you go back to the ways that they were c- cutting safety measures all the way back to the tri- uh, triangle uh, shirtwaist uh, fire that, you know, allowed hundreds of women to burn to death um, to now where, you know, you're where the CEO of, of Amazon has a, a boat worth half a billion dollars. There's absurdities in real life that exceed Boots Riley's wildest imaginations. And I so I think the way the movie distills that into a very specific image, I think, is actually very smart. Yeah, so like imagine these oligopsies, oligot. Basically, there what well, we don't have necessarily monopolies in this country, but we have basically monopolies. We have these oligopsies. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We have these neo oligarchs, which essentially run the means of production and have have are part of lobbies and work on elections and work on these work on changing laws so we can have child labor who do you think is behind these child labor laws if you look at what the people want versus what mostly the republican caucus is pulling for what the republican caucus is trying to do in lots of states is just change the percentage which needs to happen in dissenting votes because they actually don't have the people's interest in mind um and that's why they want more control again look at the word conservative conserve i recommend reading this book the reactionary mind which which goes into the history of of conservatism and reactionary politics 
in in a way that's very accessible. And you know, I've I'm sure I've, I'll, I've talked about this before, but if you're truly a conservative, you should be trying to do things like conserve the the sanctity of this planet. Make sure that this the earth is around for future generations to be able to enjoy to to not poison the water to to make sure national parks are are around so that you know in people in in the year 3000 can look at a tree and and admire it so that our great grandchildren have air to breathe like to me that should be what conservative conservatism is about um but it's not it's not it's about control it's about power it's not actually about any of the things that it claims it is because you can't say that you're about free speech and then also ban books and then uh talk about personal freedoms and then create laws that make gender affirming care impossible be consistent at at least the libertarians believe in personal freedoms but i still think that libertarianism is a myth to to sell to people that think that Capitalism is freedom. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a lot of like wealthy people who uh, who are uh, retired and living on a pension who are libertarian. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's also like rich people that like to make fun of capitalism too. But you know, if you just watch movies from last year, Triangle of Sadness, The Menu, Glass Onion, they're all you know, satires of capitalism, but don't go, don't go nearly as far as they could or as sorry to bother you does, you know, modern, modern times you have like, sorry to bother you. You have idiocracy. You have movies that are pointing at stuff that we're not, we're, we're quite ahead of their time, but we didn't know how ahead they were. Cause in, Sorry to bother you. Imagine if Elon Musk also was a weapons dealer and also came through with an idea of cheap labor by creating lifetime contracts where people could work and live in factories, which again, like Madawan, factory towns where your life is to work. And, you know, watching this and, you know, and this is something that I'm conscious of often when I'm podcasting or or what have you like the the lithium batteries that fuel our cell phones that allow this podcast to happen or that are in in our laptops um you know they're mined in inhuman conditions and put together in towns that look a lot like the facilities that are that are in this film and you, you know that the chinese government um, doesn't want us to look at, or or the American government that, that doesn't want us to look at, or well, maybe corporations don't want us to look at. So it, it's, you know, the the result of the sort of corporate overlordship that is in Sardarbadi you is sort of in our face every day, and um, so I, how do you reckon with that? I, I guess like if if people like. Army Hammer's character, Steve Lift, are, are creating the products that are necessary for life in 2023 to exist. You know, how do you, how do you separate yourself from that kind of uh, corporatism it's, and capitalism? It's very hard 
you know, I, I work a full-time job and I cannot avoid using Amazon. I tried, I've so tried and I don't shame people for their corporate habits. I don't there cause there's there, you know, there's all, there's really, I don't know if there really is anything as ethical consumption, yeah. right? Now I try to to do my grocery shopping at at the farmers markets and local stores, and I pretty much at this point because I just feel I have to buy all of my political books from either the the local uh, worker owned bookstore in Baltimore, Red Emma's, which I which I highly recommend buying books from their website, or I try to buy directly from publishers. You know, Verso Books has uh, is is a publisher I really read a lot of stuff from, and they have very good deals. And yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that I really try to support local as much as I can. But let's say in a place like Baltimore, I need. Jewish prayer candles and I can't get to the 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 religious neighborhood 30 minutes away from me and I can get them tomorrow or I'm I'm looking and I'm like the the pharmacy is closed I have four I have four pumps left on my on my my allergy spray yeah. For one dollar extra, I can have it at my house by four in the morning, and it sucks because I know that the people that are working are being exploited, and eventually it won't even be people; it'll be drones. It's only a matter of time, and I I think we'll have to dive into AI at some point, but it really depresses me. Like it puts me into, like it gives me anxiety attacks. But sorry to bother you kind of foresaw what Amazon is becoming. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse because they, they Amazon owns Whole Foods, so it now has it owns your access to food and the prices are starting to go up. It's not as cheap as it used to be and they 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 doubled if not tripled their profits throughout the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, it, it's this mother, this motherfucker went to space. Meanwhile, his employees are peeing in, in bottles because they can't take breaks. Like that sounds like something from a satire, you know? Yeah, we're going to, I think we'll have to, on this show, unpack the movie Sorry We Missed You at some point because that movie also plays on this sort of idea and is one of the most scathing looks at capitalism and gig culture. I feel like we're going to have to do that as one of our episodes at some point because I just think it's one of, it. It looks at gig culture and how all of this is connected in a really good way. Yeah. But but I find that when we try to do three movies in an episode, it's it just is a little hard to to keep on, especially when we're trying to keep our episodes not too yeah. long. So, but it could have easily been the third movie in this episode. But yeah, this movie 
is is funny, silly, scary. It references the movie The Last Dragon, yeah. which which whenever whenever I get to talk about The Last Dragon, I'm super happy. Uh, like I feel like the black the Last Dragon could have been bigger than the Goonies, but isn't revered in in lots of isn't revealed revered like the Goonies, but I just think it's it's just such a good movie from the '80s that captures an idea. Yeah, it's it's such an enjoyable film. Yeah, and and so even in the despairing satire that's in this film, when you hear it mentioned, it's like, oh, the Last Dragon, <laughs> give me some of that. Right, because because Tessa Thompson's character is this performance artist. And she protests through art and then does this sort of like Maria Abramovich meets Oakland art that also involves The Last Dragon. And yeah, there's all these little threads in the movie that it really is its own world. The, the Boots Riley does a really good job of world building. Yeah. And he has a new show coming out soon on Amazon, right? And how do you how do you reconcile a light being a lifetime leftist and then also doing a movie doing a TV show on Amazon? Yeah, and yeah, it's it's extraordinarily difficult to get your message out in in any independent you know venue, right? Like there's like yeah, I know that the movie "How to Blow Up a Pipeline" came out, um, and I'm very proud that my local independent theater played it. Um, but they didn't have it for very long because it wasn't very profitable. Um, yeah, they had it for a week at my yeah, local theater, yeah, and I just I wasn't able to see it because it's difficult to get out to a movie theater. Um, so, if you have this incredibly important thing to say. You know, how do you make it stick into the minds of of the public? You, you know, and you know, like we were just talking about, I think Made One is one of the great American films of the nineteen eighties. But I think if you just talk to regular non movie freaks on the street, or even movie freaks, it, the amount of people that have seen it, it it's going to be pretty low. Well, nowadays, if you don't have, if you not only can't stream a movie. And also can't buy physical yeah. media. Does it still exist? Like these these young film kids who I love, these kids who are getting so excited from film from A twenty four movies, and then through A twenty four they're discovering the 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 Criterion's, and then they're discovering the Milestones and the Zenans. They're 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 a lot of a lot of them. There are certain directors that get people excited to to branch out like i think like i meet when i meet young kids that are into david Egg, not david eggers robert yeah, eggers Rob, robert eggers. which like they a lot of kids i meet like 20 year old 25 year olds they 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 saw midsummer they saw Bo is afraid they come to me they're like hey could you recommend movies that probably inspired this or movies like this whereas some directors the fans just stay yeah. there like i think a lot of Wes Anderson fans aren't that interested in the movies that made Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, just 
Um, yeah, Ari Aster did um, Midsommar and, and Bo is Afraid. Yeah. That's what I meant, but, yeah. But Ro- I, I love Robert Eggers, who did, you know, Witch and, and The Northman. And, like, the elevator pitch for for me, for The Northman, is what if Tarkovsky directed Conan the Barbarian? Um, and so if you saw The Northman and loved it, hopefully that will lead you to both Tarkovsky and John Millais, and I think that's great. Um, right, and then there's kids that saw Mandy and then were like, I want to learn mm-hmm. more about the genres that made yeah. this. And I feel there are a lot of new directors that get people excited about movies. So I'm not judging them, but I do know that when I talk to young people about the movies I love, if they're going to have to go through hoops to to watch it, nine out of 10 are not going to. Now, Sorry to Bother You is easily streamable. I highly recommend it. Boots Riley's new show, I'm a Virgo, premieres on Prime soon. I'm gonna I might watch it. I don't know. I'm I'm having trouble with TV right now. But that's my own problem. But I just thought I really wanted to talk about Sorry to Bother You on the show, and I felt I couldn't do it without talking about Made of One. Yeah, I think this is a great pairing. Um and man, just <laughs> Both of these movies have such incredible casts. Um, you know, Danny Glover shows up and, and steals the the couple scenes he's in. Um, just the the choice to have David Cross and Patton Oswalt be the white voice for th- these characters, like it's um, like it just it's so smart, and it's there. It's very rare for a film to be so incisive, so politically incendiary, and also so entertaining. Um, and so all credit to Bruce Riley for being able to maintain that tone. And I think that's also something that he carried over from his music, which is incredibly entertaining, but also politically incendiary. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts before we finish this thought-provoking episode um just uh seek out the work of john sales seek out the work of boots riley you'll you'll find a a lot of stuff to to love in both of those artists well i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation what a great pairing scott thank you oh of course